So we have been in this series now for a number of weeks, actually getting close to about two months, and um, we have about two and a half or three months more, and this is going to be a long one, uh, because uh, we are looking at the attributes of God, and we have been following uh, the outline of the book, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, and talking about a high view of God and a low view of God, and lifting up our low view of God. And uh, as we've been saying, you know, the low view of God lowers our hunger, lowers our expectation, lowers our worship, kind of brings God down to our own level. We kind of make him out to be in our image, in our likeness, but God is not like that. He is not like us. He is high and exalted and lifted up his attributes, uh, things like his eternality and his infinitude that we talked about, and his incomprehensibility that we, we can know God, but we can't know all that there is. We'll have all of eternity, and we'll still not know everything there is about him. And so it lifts our view up of him. And so today, as we continue on this uh, topic. We're going to talk about the immutability of God, and I know there was there uh, been some comments about these um, words that we're talking about. These are church words that we don't normally use outside of church, but they're helpful for us to understand theological terms, as long as we can make sure that we understand them in practical understanding and how they apply to our lives each day. But the immutability of God or the unchangingness of God. God does not change. And so on this Mother's Day, I thought we would just take a few moments to laugh. It's good to laugh about how motherhood changes a mom. So here's some, some memes. I got seven memes, I believe, that will illustrate how motherhood changes a mother. So here's one. All right, so before kids, I'm so busy, whatever will I do? After kids, what a fool I was. So all those things plus all of that. Here's a second one. <laughs> How do I put this? You will never sleep in again. Closest I get to a spa day is when the steam from the dishwasher smacks me in the face. So, me at 25 after a quick five-mile run, and me at 35 after buckling my kid into the car seat. So that is a coffee table. So I used to have a nice coffee table until it got toddlered. All right. You never realize how weird you are until you have a kid that acts just like you. You're like, oh, my. All right, one more, I think. We've got one more. All right. So the first time parent, I got this one month later, and then survived, uh, cast away four years and two more kids later, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Haven't, haven't cared for yourself. So just some, some funny memes there to help us 
get kind of a picture of motherhood. Motherhood is one of those changing experiences. It's a lifetime of change from pregnancy on. And on top of all these funny changes that come, there those good changes, changes like growth in the areas of knowledge and wisdom, growth in strength and in perseverance. I've heard mothers say, I never knew how much I could do until I had to because of children. Growth in patience may not be one of those attributes that you're looking always to have more of, but motherhood changes you and helps you to grow in it. Can also help you to understand the love of God as you love your children. The grace of God as you extend it. The mercy of God as you extend it to your children. There's much that motherhood can teach you and change you as you're going about those years. And so on this Mother's Day, we honor those mothers. But it's not just mothers who change, is it? It's all of us. All of us change. For better or for worse, all of us change. And one of the great hope-filled messages of the gospel is that we are destined, we are predestined to be changed or transformed into the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a good message. That you are accepted where you are at, you are loved where you're at, but you are never intended to stay where you're at. You are intended to be transformed, to grow and to change, to become more and more like Jesus until the day when either he returns or we pass from this life through the next, through death, that we will be fully changed to be like him. We will be, the Bible calls it, glorified to be like him. That's good news. And so we are always in this process of changing of being changed, of being transformed. But in the midst of all of that change, we need something that doesn't change, right? We need one who doesn't change. And that is why it is so important that we understand that our God is immutable, that he is unchanging. Because when we understand that he does not change, then it gives us the confidence and the trust that we can submit to his work of changing us, of the unchangeable changing us. And so this morning, we wanna kind of process what it looks like for God to be unchanging, but then what it means for us to receive change from him, to be changed by him. Uh, The whole book of Malachi is a book about change, It's a book about God's people changing from a place of obedience to God to a place of disobedience to God. And the prophet Malachi is God's messenger to tell the people, these are the ways that you have changed. These are the ways that you have disobeyed God. But here is what God wants you to do. He wants you to repent, to change, so that you are now in a life of obedience. 
And in all of these places in the book of Malachi, when obedience comes, when change comes from where they were living, there is blessing that comes. God says there will be blessing that comes. And so it's the same principles. And so we want to look at the fact that our God is immutable and looking and working to change us. So this morning, three lessons. There are sermon notes in your bulletin that you can follow along with some uh, small blanks, some simple blanks to fill in on the screen. But lessons to change as we understand our immutable, unchanging God. The first is this. The first lesson is no, God is unchanging. No, God is unchanging. The word immutable, as we have said, simply means that God does not change. He is unchanging. In verse 6, he simply starts this whole section out with this powerful statement that then is the reason why everything else, he tells them to do everything else in the rest of the section. I, the Lord, do not change. Now that seems fairly straightforward. I, the Lord, do not change. Tozer, in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says it this way. He says, to say that God is immutable is to say that he never differs from himself. The concept of a growing or developing God is not found in the scriptures. It seems to me impossible to think of God as varying from himself in any way. Here is why. For a moral being to change, it would be necessary that the change be in one of three directions. He must go from better to worse, or from worse to better, or, third way, granted that the moral quality remains stable, he must change within himself as from immature to mature or from one order of being to another. It should be clear that God can move in none of these directions. His perfections forever rule out such possibility. See, for God to have to change and for God to change would mean that there is something incomplete, something wrong with God, or that God is somehow having to get better. But God is already perfect. He is already complete. There is no need for him to change because he cannot get better. He cannot get worse. He cannot mature. He is already perfect. Perfect. Now, when we stop for a moment and just let that sink in, it takes something of immutability and God doesn't change. We'd be like, yeah, that's true. God doesn't change. But when we think about it, everything we know about ourselves and about our world is always changing. So to think of God as already perfect and in need, not in need of changing, is something that is completely other than us, higher than us. He's already perfect, therefore, in, not in need of changing. So the story was told of a parent who was on a flight on a plane with their child. And as they boarded the plane, the airport that they were flying out of, it was a kind of a cold 
cloudy, rainy, drizzly, just dreary day. And so they got on the plane, and as they taxied out, they got all excited because they're getting ready to, to climb, you know, to take off on this plane, and the engines rev up, and the plane heads off down the runway, and as the runway, it comes to the runway, the front wheel lifts off, and then the back two wheels, and all of a sudden, they're in the air, and everyone's excited, you know, the child's excited, the parent's excited to see, see the child do all this and experience all this, and as they're flying, as they get higher and higher, they're getting into the clouds, as they're getting into the clouds, you know, it's getting kind of bumpy on the takeoff because you got the clouds there, you got the air disturbance, you got the winds that are up there, you got the rain and the drizzle, and it's just like, yeah, this is kind of ugly and bumpy. And, and then all of a sudden, after a while of this going up through the clouds, the plane breaks through. And it's sun. The sun is shining. The child leans over to the parent, and the child says, it's sunny here today. To which the parent understood in that moment what the child was saying. And the parent replied, it's always sunny here. See, that child thought, oh, what goes on down here, there's different days up there. It can be cloudy, and some days it's sunny down here. And up there, it has to be someday cloudy and someday sunny. But what this child was understanding for the first time is above the clouds, it's always sunny in the day. And isn't that the way it is with God? We, we sometimes think God is changing up there. He's, he's sometimes sunny, sometimes cloudy, it's sometimes rainy, it's sometimes good, sometimes bad. Because that's how we see it. If we have a low view of God, we're seeing him as we see life down here. And we interpret him that way. But a high view of God says no matter what the weather is like down here, no matter what our day is like, no matter what our circumstances are like, whether it is sunny or whether it is stormy or whether it's somewhere in between, it is always sunny. Because God never changes. And that changes the way we see our everyday life. It may be rocky. It may be cloudy. It may be bumpy. It may be stormy. But as we sang, our lighthouse is always shining. The sun is always shining. Our God, we never have to wonder, what's it like on the other side of the clouds? It's always beautiful. It's always sunny. Because our God, he does not change. He is immutable. Though our lives are constantly changing, he never does. Which then allows us this second lesson. When we understand and we know God is unchanging, it allows us, and we sang about it, to trust in his unchanging nature. It allows us to trust in his unchanging nature. We see this in two ways in the book of Malachi. In verses 6 and 7, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Verse 7, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. 
Because the Lord does not change as he is speaking, as God is speaking through Malachi to his people, because the Lord does not change, he says, my people, Israel, your forefathers who had continually changed negatively, though there were some positive changes, they would have these patterns of, you know, sin and then repentance and sin and repentance and sin and repentance. So though they were always kind of changing, up and down. Though your forefathers changed. He says they are not destroyed. Why are they not destroyed? Because God, the unchanging one, had made promises, we sang about it, and covenant with his people about what he would do. Genesis 15, I encourage you, we're not going to take time to read it this morning, but I would encourage you to read Genesis 15 because it's one of those places that is so kind of a, a core bedrock of the way God works and how he works, not just in the past, but how he works in the present and for all time. He comes to Abram and he says, I will make your, your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And then there's this simple phrase. It says, Abraham believed God. He believed God, faith. Faith in his promise Faith in his covenant. Covenant is this, this agreement. You do this and I'll do this. Faith in the promise. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now normally covenant is, like I said, I do this and you do this. But if you don't do right according to it or I don't do right according to it, the covenant is now out of force. We have to abide by this covenant. And if I break it, you're free. God does something in Genesis 15. After making this promise and making this covenant, Abraham just believes God. It's credited to him as righteousness. And then God tells Abraham, go get a bunch of sacrifices. And so he gets all the sacrifices and he takes all these sacrifices to just kind of a ditch and he cuts all of these animals in half, according to the decree of the Lord. And he places them on either side, each half, on either side of this ditch, so that blood from all of these animals are running down and filling this ditch. And normally, the way they would ratify these covenants is they would walk through it together. The blood was the sign of, if I don't do this, there's going to be negative outcomes of this. These animals are, going, are, are, are the sign that we are going to stay faithful to our word, to each other. And they would walk through, and as they would walk through, they would declare the terms of the covenant. you imagine if we were to make contracts and agreements like that today? Well, that would have a little bit different effect on us, probably. I think we'd hold our word a little bit more if we were walking through blood and had to get all these animals and all that. It's serious stuff. And so what Abraham no, no doubt was thinking is God has made these promises to him and we're going to go walk through this together and we're going to agree on the terms of this covenant. But God does something different. God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And then God walks through. God was making the covenant with Abraham a covenant with himself. He promised, 
And then he says, I'm not going to only be the one who makes the covenant. I'm going to be the one who guarantees the covenant. So that no matter what you do, Abraham, because I know you, Abraham, and I know all that are going to come from you, and if he was speaking to us, and he is speaking to us here at Dorseyville, I know you, church family at Dorseyville, if it's up to you and doing this right, we're not going to stay in covenant very long. We're not going to stay in relationship very long. And so I'm going to make it with myself. And so God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Why is it so important? Because he's the one who made the covenant, and he's the one who keeps the covenant. He's a God that changes. Then we're always going to go, oh, no, are we good or are we not? Are we good or are we not? He's the God who always stays the same. And so he says, even from the time of your forefathers, you've turned away. But understand, my promises to you are not dependent upon you. My, dep- my promises to you are dependent on me. Flash forward to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. The one who all of it for all time is dependent on. In your bulletins, it's Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His work on the cross, the unchanging Savior, the unchanging one, it's about him. said we see this in two ways. In verses 16 to 18, it goes on. It says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine. Listen to that. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. We're going to go back and and look at the previous section here in a moment. But there were people who heard the messages, who feared the Lord. And they gathered together to respond to him together. And they made what was called a scroll of remembrance, which was common in the day. It was commonly used by kings and other nations to remind the king somebody did well Remind, put a remembrance down, wrote, write what they did so that you, king, will not forget to honor them, to reward them, to bless them for the faithful work that they did. Now, God doesn't need reminder. God doesn't need his memory to be jogged. But this was a symbolic thing for the people to understand that God, as we have come and we have feared the Lord and we have honored his name, God will not forget because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging one. He will not forget his promise. He will not forget to do what he says he will do. If he's a changing God, then we would have to say, well, we hope he didn't forget But because he is immutable, unchanging, he's not going to forget. His promises, his promises, as we sang this morning, will be fulfilled. He will 
bring his people to himself as his treasured possession. He does not change. He does not change his mind. He will do what he says he will do. So here's where we need to understand and not miss this. God's action is based chiefly on who he is and not on the action of the people. It's dependent on him. It's dependent on his unchanging faithfulness. Because you and I, we, we change. But we change to be part of what he is doing. See, a low view of God says this says that my change or my faithfulness gets God to do something. In other words, if I do it right, then God is going to. Who is that dependent on? That is dependent on me. That's a low view of God. I have now brought God down to my level. That God doing it is dependent on whether I do it. We flipped it. But a high view of God says this. God is already going to do it. My change and my aligning myself with him just determines whether I'm going to get to be a part of what he is already doing. Do you see the difference? We'll say sometimes with revival, Jesus, don't pass us by. This is what Jesus wants to do. The question is, are we in a place to receive what he wants to do? Or do we miss? Not because he's not going to do it, just we're not in a place. There were some who honored and feared the Lord, it says. And they do the scroll of remembrance, which means there are some who, what? Didn't honor and fear the Lord. There were some who would take part in the blessing. There were others who would not. Did God fail them? No. He's doing what he's going to do. He is faithful to his promises. The question becomes, as we trust in his unchanging nature, are we in line with him? So here's the last lesson, and it's the application for us this morning. As we trust in his, he is unchanging. We trust in his unchanging nature. He's going to do his thing no matter what. Third lesson is be changed by the unchanging God. Be changed by the unchanging God. There are two areas of change. Verses 8 through 12 was the first one. It says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. The Israelites were to bring the first tenth in, in dependence upon God. They were to bring the first tenth of all they had to the Lord. And then offerings, there were various offerings that they would bring at different times. And that was equal to about another 10%. So in tithes and offerings, they were, they were to bring to the Lord in obedience to his commands about 20% over the course of a year, 20% of all that they had. Tithes and offerings. And God says, you are robbing me. 
And he says, verse 9, you're under a curse because of it. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me, because you're not bringing these tithes and offerings. And so he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. In other words, will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the first area of change that the Israelites had to step into. The second is in verse 13. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, what have we said against you? And the Lord says, this is what you've said. You've said that it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements? And going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. But now we call all the arrogant ones, the ones who speak against you, the ones who say that they don't need to do what you say. Now we call those arrogant ones the blessed ones. And we see that certainly the evildoers are prospering. Even those who challenge God escape. I don't know what your areas of change are. But when we're walking with God and, there are, and we're seeking to have a high view, an increasingly high view of him, there will be areas that the Lord will speak to us about. We can't walk with God and not have him change us. There will be areas of change that he will bring to us. It may be in tithes and offerings. It may be that you are looking at all the other people around you who are not honoring the ways of God and saying, oh, look at their lives. Their lives are great, and look at me. I'm trying to do the, uh, live in obedience to God, and look at my life. It's a mess. It may be one of those. It may be something else. But whatever it is, we trust that the Holy Spirit will show us as we're walking with him what needs to change. And when we do, we see here two parts to change. The first part is in verse 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Here is the first part, return. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we to return? And then he goes into the robbing God. Returning to God in an area that needs to be changed. Returning to a place where we are more aligned with him. Returning usually requires action. It usually requires leaving something behind and picking up something new. It's what repentance is. It's leaving something behind and stepping into something new. For the Israelites, it was stopping the robbing of God and picking up and returning, aligning themselves once again with the tithes and the offerings. Return to God. You may say, oh, I'm with God. Let me just challenge you on this. We all have areas of our lives that we need to come back to him on. 
It may not be that you're like the prodigal son and you're out running around far from God. You may be walking with him, but there are areas of our lives that are not in alignment with him, that are not in obedience to him, that need to be changed. And so there are areas of our lives that we need to return under his leadership, under his lordship, under his ways. And every time we do, as God promises, do this and see if I will not pour out blessing. There's always blessing that comes. It may not be material blessing. It may not be health blessing. It may not be bigger this or bigger that, but there will be the blessing of joy. There will be the blessing of his peace. There will be the blessing of knowing his love and his presence in a new way when we come and return that area into alignment with him. And a lot of times those areas are not even just because I'm going to do it my way. They're just areas as we walk with him and he says, oh, I want to I want to bring this area back to me. Sin and brokenness has taken it away. I want to return it back to me. So come back. Return. Return. And then the second is an attitude. Verse 16 says, And those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. It's attitude. It's humbling ourselves. The higher our view of God gets, our natural response will be reverent fear and honoring of God. Because we see him higher and higher lifted up and we see ourselves for what we are. And we run and we return and we humble ourselves in fear not cowering fear, but reverent respect fear, and we honor him. We bow before him. We give him the worth and the worship that are due his name. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. And so, friends, our destiny, if you are a believer in Jesus, our destiny is to be changed and transformed continually into the image and likeness of Jesus. Can you think of anything better to be changed into? To become more like Jesus? Paul says this is what you were intended and created to become, like Christ. One day we will be fully like him, But until then, he is looking to work in us. The unchanging God looking to work in us. Constant change. I love talking to some of the people that I would consider, man, they have walked with God for a long time and they have walked with God so well. I want to be like them. And when you talk to them, oh, the Lord still is doing so much change in me. Not because, oh, woe is me, I'm terrible, I'm horrible. But because they've understood that every time the Lord changes them, there is more of his presence. There's more of his spirit. There's more of his love. There's more of his joy. There's more wonder and awe. Every time he changes them, their view of him gets lifted higher and higher. And they become more like, I can't wait to see what he does next. And so may we be people out of our knowledge of him as unchanging who trust in his unchanging nature 
being changed by him. Close with this picture. The old Rubik's Cube. So I want you to envision something. I want you to envision everything perfect like that. Everything in its right place. Without sin, that is what you and I were intended to be. Whole. Not messed up in in the colors in all the wrong places. Everything to be perfect. And one day, one day, when we are glorified and like Jesus, we will be put back completely. All the colors are going to be in the right spot. We'll be whole again. I don't know about you, but I kind of look like this. I feel like this is a moment. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we look like this. And sometimes, sometimes on the outside, people see all of our colors messed up. And, it, it, and there are those of us who outwardly people are like, yeah, they got their colors messed, messed up. And there are others of us who look fairly, put our colors together on the outside pretty good, but inside we're all kind of messed up. Doesn't matter whether it's external or internal or both. Most of us are both. I say all of us are both. We got our colors messed up, messed, messed up some. And God is in the process of doing this work when we come to Him, the unchanging one. Some of you are thinking He's going to put that back together. No, <laughs> absolutely not. I will make this worse. I guarantee you, I will make this worse. But you know who won't make it worse? Jesus. And if we just come back to him, the unchanging one, he knows how to change us and he knows what places to turn. And he knows when to turn it. And he knows how to turn it. And sometimes some of us, we're on the other side and we're like pushing on him or like, no, I'm not going to let you turn me there. Right? And how, many of you, how many of you experienced that? I'll be the first one. No, I'm not going to let you turn me there. I kind of like the way it's messed up right now. I know it's not good, but I don't want to change. And so we fight it. We're like pushing back on him. There's much more joy, and this goes so much better if we trust the unchanging one. And we honor him, and we fear him, and we return to him, and we let him turn. And we let him shape. And we let him do that work of putting us in the spot where it needs to be. And because he's unchanging and because we've talked about things like he knows everything, he's infinite, he's outside of space and time, and he sees everything from the beginning to the end, he's eternal. He knows how to put it all back together. And he knows how to work with all the things that are ever going to happen in our lives. And he can enter time right where we're at, when we're there. And he can just say, now's the time I'm going to turn this one a little bit. And there are going to be some things where there are going to be people who are going to look at you and you're going to, they're going to say, you need to turn that one now. And God may be saying, I'm going to turn that one, but I've got to turn this one first. Because until I turn that one, this one isn't going to get in line. And I think that's a word to all of us as brothers and sisters coming along. We got pretty good agendas on what others need to turn when. Can we do better at coming before the Lord with others and saying, Lord, what are you doing in my brother or my sister's life? How are you turning it? And is there a role for me to come alongside? Because he knows which one to turn when.
And a low view of God says, I know when to turn that one. A high view of God says, you see it and you know how to turn this thing. Would you turn it? I just want to be in cooperation with you. And I want to be in journeying with other people in relationships and just walking alongside others to see you know, how, what role can I play? Is there a role for me to play? Because God knows how to get us back there. The unchanging one, he's really good at changing us. And so we just offer ourselves. We return to him. When he shows us those areas, we return that area to him. And in fear and in honor of him, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. So can we just take a moment before the Lord? And, and I think God has already been bringing some things to our minds of what's the area that we just need to return to him in. What's that area? What's that one thing that he is calling us that he wants to turn a little bit? He wants to change a little bit. More in alignment with him. Would you, if you know what that is already, would you just take a moment before him and say, Lord, I return that to you. I return myself to you in this area. And I say, yes, I honor you. I fear you. I, I see you for who you are. I return it. And maybe you're sitting and you're saying, I don't, I'm not quite sure what that is. I believe the Holy Spirit would love to show those things. There may be some of you too, just it's coming to mind, so I just want to say it. There may be some of you here who what he's doing preparation work for you to trust him to be willing to turn it. And so maybe it's not even about turning something yet. It's about just aligning with trust that he is good and that he knows what he's doing and that you can receive it. He knows. He knows. So if we would just take a moment before the Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, you're so faithful. We welcome you to speak. We welcome you to move and to work. Father, we honor you and bless you as the one who is unchanging, immutable. And we bless the work that you are doing to build trust that you are good and that you know how best to change. And for those who are just considering whether to say yes to your change, we bless that work. Father, we bless the work, too, of hearing from the Spirit what you are seeking to turn 
to change, to bring into alignment, to return back to yourself. And we bless the work of returning that you are calling that your grace would be poured out to receive the change and the transformation that only you can do. We thank you and we praise you that there is blessing. There is blessing where we respond. We praise you that you're a God who does not forget your promises. And even today, where change seems slow, we bless even the waiting for the fulfillment. Knowing that you, because you do not change, you always do what you say you're gonna do. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. We honor you, we worship you, we lift you high this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to um, affirm, I don't know, I just, I think that there was a strong word <laughs> in kind of the fact that Pastor Mark was 